I want to welcome everyone to today's conversation. This is the second installment in our parenting series, and I'm thrilled uh, to have Matina Montez with us today. If you remember last conversation, we had Dr. John Louie. It's kind of amazing uh, to be able to get a researcher like him, but it was amazing to kind of just get the foundation for how good enough parenting works. And it's kind of awesome too, because uh, Matina and John they work together in terms of uh, just their, their research and so forth. Um, and so today we're really going to be taking a look at what is the responsibility of the community as it relates to the spiritual formation of our children. And I just want to say community matters a lot, more than you actually might think it does. In the next episode, we're going to be getting with uh, Jaina Bajeski. She is a colleague of mine, uh, literally right down the hall. And she gets into the brain science. So there is a cohesion in the episodes that I'm doing with this parenting approach wherein we need good research, we need to understand what the Bible says, and then we have to understand how the brain works. There's a science to things. God has created uh, the universe in such a way where there are patterns. And so we just have to research them. Anyways, without further ado, Matina, welcome to the channel again. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kyle. Uh, such a joy to be with you and uh, just love the work that you're doing in trauma and helping people heal. So I'm grateful to be a part of that uh, extended work of yours. Since the last time you came, you've been busy. And mm -hmm. I would like to just kind of have you catch up. And, and just for those of you watching, uh, Matina, she's come on before. We talked about kids in the church. Please go back if you want and and, and listen to that video. It, it would be a great primer. Um, but what have you been up to since our last conversation? Yeah, with that, I'd like to kick us off with a scripture. And this will kind of set the tone, I think, for the rest of the conversation um, and the passion, and I feel like the spirit leading me to do uh, what I've been doing the last few years. So this is Psalm uh, 78, verses 2 through 7. I will open my mouth with a parable. Will, I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them and even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. I love that passage. I feel like that is a less familiar passage for me. And as I studied, it was, you know, in the literature and in books on spiritual formation of adolescence, this scripture was persistent along with Deuteronomy 6. I think we, we are very familiar with the Shema in Deuteronomy 6. But this just even fortifies um, that uh, responsibility that we have to pass on our faith. Uh, still, it's our kids' choice. It's not a force, forceful thing, um, but to create an environment that would uh, create a desire in them and an awe 
uh, of God watching us as we walk with God. In terms of uh, the Old Testament, the Old Testament is structured in a very generational way. I even think about how the names are talked about in um, we're talking about generations. And so God is a generational God. I think that for for us in our day, it's kind of easy to just get caught up into um, what we're doing and not understand the larger story that we are connected to. And so I love that you brought that up because I think there's a bigger, uh, there's a bigger uh, plan at work. It's not just um, my kids. It, this is if one, once we become, we become Christians, we're connected to an entire story that goes back to Genesis, as you had just mentioned. So thank you so much for mentioning that. Um, what are, let's get into some of the pain points and challenges of spiritual formation in adolescence. I feel like even though we as adults, we were teens once, it's almost like we feel de-skilled. Um, yeah. or even though we were there before, it's like, we can't relate. And I just think that there are certain things that you've studied that I think can help us relate again. I think we need to relate, uh, but the question is how, so let's start with some of the pain points and challenges, um, that you've discovered in your research. Yeah. So, um, to fully answer that question, I'll answer the tail end of the first question too. I've been, first of all, I have to give. Uh, credit to the circle of professors and um, ministers that I've been surrounded with at Abilene Christian University. So um, what I've been up to since our last time is finishing up a master's of arts in Christian ministry, um, majoring in spiritual formation. So that coursework is done. Um, and I feel like I have found <laughs> answers, but they are needing to be vetted out. So the context of our conversation will be um, very informed hypotheses that people can potentially run with and try for themselves, whether it's for their families or th for their ministry. So to answer that, that, that question, Kyle, I would say um, there are three major pain points. Um, you know, when I first went to school, after seeing many of my kids' circle of kids um, walk away uh, from God and family sometimes, it was heartbreaking. And so that is what fuels my passion. And I feel that um, it was a systemic issue, mm -hmm. but that's all I could say. It's systemic, what, but why? What's happening here? And so that disorientation, that perplexingness is what sent me back to school. And I feel like God brought three solid answers to me. I'm sure there are many more, but what I've been exposed to so far is um, the idea that, you know, especially in our churches, because we're a relatively young movement, our tradition is relatively young, um, 1979, 1980, wherever you want to mark it at, um, you know, it's a few decades old. And so we tend to be primarily a first generation church mm. and that has its, you know, good and its ills uh, around that, that um, we bring in from our families, from our generation's dysfunction. And even though we um, confess Jesus as Lord and savior, we still are broken people um, with the spirit in us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the truth about that. 
And so there still needs to be a lot of healing. So the first thing is to understand uh, within the home. And so I'm going to kind of talk about today these, these three concentric circles. It's the home, it's the church, and it's the extended world that we're in tension with mm. um, to form, form faith. So the first challenge for us is to really embrace and accept that we still might be broken people even after we become Christians. Mm. And we are. It's the truth. <laughs> we are. <laughs> and, and so um, you mentioned my partnership with John Louie, and I'll get more into that. But he was the, the person I could think of in all of our fellowship that really understood and could measure, literally, uh, quantitatively measure brokenness in our, in our souls and in our being. So I'll talk about him as part of a solution in, the, in a bit. The second um, pain point challenge, and I mentioned this in the previous uh, interview, and there's, there's some support for this. I, I know that uh, I probably have to dig deep and find the actual uh, references for this, but there is a, a delay of adolescence, meaning that you know when I was 18, I was, that was 1980. I was 18 in 1980. And what they're saying is that uh, a boomer uh, that was 18 in, say, in 1980 um, is not the same as an 18-year-old today. Hmm. And a lot of that has to do with Western culture and um, how we um, delay suffering of our children because they live in a pretty, for the most part, comfortable part of the world, um, all Western countries, uh, developed countries. And so as a result of that, you know, they're, they're going to school longer, they're delaying getting married, you know, so the challenges of life are delayed. Therefore, the development of human formation is delayed because there isn't this wrestling with, um, you know, needing to, to form uh, maturity in a, in a human sense. And so that is something we need to keep in mind as we apply ministry models because we're not dealing with the same kids that we did, you know, 20, 30 years ago. The third thing is uh, what scholars call, you know, on the one hand, it's secularization, and that kind of is an ambiguous term. But secularization, um, some have have uh, coined the term um, an age of disenchantment. And so Age of Disenchantment, you'll uh, read uh, from Charles Taylor, who who's an a, expert and kind of the, the beginning of, of this discussion in the early 2000s, Andrew Root, who's kind of taken Charles Taylor's content and made it more accessible and easier to read about what this means. And then also uh, Richard Beck, who happens to be the Dean of Psychology at uh, Abilene, he wrote a book recently on disenchantment. And fundamentally, in a nutshell, what that means is two to 300 years ago, before the Renaissance, nobody doubted the existence of God. Hmm. It was like, you, it would be a witch hunt if you didn't. <laughs> so on the flip side, we live in a very different age that Faith is a foreign concept. Believing in something that's not concrete is much more difficult because we live in an age of science and technology and looking for proof. 
And, and so that's what our kids are up against. And so if um, we're not addressing that while they're still in the home and still in, in our local ministry, it's more difficult for them to develop what I'll call in my, in my other industry, I work in marketing, develop, to develop chops for handling uh, the fact that they're going into an academic environment in college, we're sending them off to this think tank that anything goes. And if we haven't developed their theological chops, their biblical literacy, it's going to be hard for them to survive and, and to keep their faith, whatever faith they do have. So those are the three uh, defining pillars of challenge and pain points that I've identified at this point. Wow, I really appreciate you breaking that down. It feels very, um, very tenable, very manageable, um, because you do take very robust concepts and you work with them um, and you, you know, you theorize. And so thank you for that. And you're right. Uh, kids nowadays, um, they are, it's interesting when you talk about going to college, I, I think that in some ways, the, the hostility in terms of environment is well before then. So I would even say high school and junior high, because of technology and the digital culture that we find ourselves, the exposure for kids is, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of a paradox. You were saying a moment ago that an 18 year old back then was different than they are now. What's interesting, I think in some ways, uh, kids now are a little bit more, not advanced, but in a way because of technology, it's kind of a pseudo uh, maturity or a pseudo advancement. And it's not real, right? It's, it's again, in our yeah. digital culture, we have people who all of a sudden um, just kind of can become an expert overnight or whatever. And information's flying at people all the time. That does affect, I think, the disenchantment that you were just mentioning. Um, nowadays, you can find out about all the bad news around the world all at once, and that's become normal. So I do think people, to your point, I do think there's a difference in, in, in culture around maturity. But I think there's a difference in exposure. I think kids are exposed. Uh, and then when they go to college, they're tested. I mean, the, the, to your point, I think the real thing is that when the kids go to college, they don't have their parents helping them set boundaries anymore. So to your point, if parents haven't been engaging um, that aspect of their children, the children are set up for failure. So, uh, oh my goodness, this is really important stuff, Matino. Yeah, and, and I, I agree wholeheartedly with what you just shared. I think uh, to extend that um, observation, Kyle, that you just made is that kids are, in my opinion, smarter than ever before when it mm. comes to the disciplines of academics, science, like you're seeing kids, you know, do community college in high school and, you know, all, you know, cram because they have more to cram in. <laughs> so they are becoming smarter from the world's vantage point, mm -hmm. but the character development is, is what's being delayed. Mm. And that resilience that we talked about in the last interview, resilient discipleship is, has to do with character resilience. And that's, what's been jeopardized. It's like, it's awesome that, you know, we can give our kids a future so they can survive with a career or a vocation. That's great. They need that. But 
more importantly, that character development has to be, you know, aligned with what we're doing for them for their futures when we're no longer around and they need to take care of themselves financially. So that's where the weight, uh, I think, is is off, that we need to put just as much energy mm-hmm. in their character and spiritual formation as the um, future and, and their destiny is what, whatever the vocation they're going to be. Thank you for setting up that contrast because you're right. There is kind of a difference between knowledge and wisdom. And so, our, again, people think that knowledge is the way, and, and that's nothing new. But to your point, wisdom um, is about character. And that is a spiritual um, acquisition. And so I, I, I think you're, I like that the way you set that, you separated that for parents. Um, what is, how does healthy Old Testament theology contribute to adolescent formation? It's interesting. You, it's not like you don't read your New Testament, but I like the fact that you go to the Old Testament. And I think that's important for many reasons. I think sometimes, um, this is just a side tangent. I think sometimes we kind of have made the New Testament sort of the standalone you know, entity and not understanding what it's connected to, especially as it relates to generations anyway. And so, but old Testament is, is kind of where you, um, you know, that's where you kind of sit as you do a lot of your research. Um, how does healthy old Testament theology contribute to healthy, uh, adolescent formation? Yeah. So like you said, um, I think, you know, when I was a young Christian, I was most comfortable just, I kept studying the new Testament over and over again, but recognize that I, I compared one time recently, the, the number of old Testament scriptures that are, uh, you know, recited or requoted in, um, or recalled by the authors of the new Testament. It's like, I think, I can't remember now if 30% of the pages of the New Testament have Old Testament scriptures <laughs> cited <laughs> in chunks, not just, okay, the the publisher put oh. the citation of this is where it was inspired from. There's chunks of scripture from the Old Testament. And I think we, um, because we're in a, a, um, melting pot society we it's hard for us to have culture um Mm. and a healthy family culture and so what i love about the old testament and the new testament together the old testament has genesis which is filled with characters of you know people that were striving to be faithful but they were broken just like us Mm -hmm. and so then the wisdom literature that comes after that to bring, you know, insight of how to grow out of that dysfunction. It's like, we're just repeating the same cycle (laughs) as they did. And so it's like, we just have to plug ourselves in to learn from um, historical uh, mentors. That's what Bible characters are. They're historical mentors that lived and and we have to use our imagination and say, hey, I am an, ex- an extension of this dysfunction and mm-hmm. I need to learn from their mistakes and from their victories. And so that's um, what I see and how the connection, you know, with the Old Testament and the New Testament are joined together. Yeah. And this relates to the, the question that I'm really asking, which is that solutions are theologically funded as it relates to, let's say, Deuteronomy 
6, 1 through 9, which contains the Shema. Um, 20 to 25 as well. Psalm 78, which you read as well. And we're in that we see healthy intergenerational community alongside the adolescent journey. And so where do you find that, and you talk about it, that solutions are theologically funded. Can you break that down? What does that mean? So um, one of the things that we talked about um, in the last interview too was uh, Kinnaman's research, um, Barna's research, Faith for Exiles, and the there were five qualities and I can't recall them all, but one of them, which we are... I feel, I think across Christendom, our weakest on, especially in Protestant traditions, is um, intergenerational connection. Mm. And so um, what I, when I stepped back and looked at everything, I, I will go through kind of like a one-for-one -one solution to the pain points. Yeah. But uh, what we've fallen into, and, and Dave, Dave and Beth Pachta did a from a, a, an incredible job um, when they were in youth and family in Chicago and, and um, all over the world, they've influenced, they got us out of, you know, it's a, it's the team minister's responsibility to for, fa form faith. <laughs> you know, that was the basic crux of, of our, our model back 20, 30 years ago. And they brought us to a place of family, um, family polity or family mo the family model hmm. and the family model is is strong but even the family model has some weaknesses and so the family model is basically uh the segregating you know by demographics um youth and family marrieds singles and depending on the church you go to you know some house churches and we fluxed back and forth in in chicago whether a bible talk or a house church has you know um both marrieds and singles or families combined but there's never been an intentionality of integrating the generations and mm -hmm. so um what i'm trying to propose is that we consider moving from not breaking the model but so, uh, supporting the model of family-based and taking us to what the literature calls family equipping model mm. and the family equipping model the intention of the family equipping model is to help parents to be equipped to in the most formative years zero to ten really before adolescence when disenchantment is not a problem and kids have imagination that they are fueled with all kinds of inspiring faith. That's the, that's the part that um, I think we need to help our parents with more these days. And so some of the tactical things that I recommend will help shift us a bit towards that, not again, relinquishing the activities that we do today, like uh, a homecoming that's, you know, contrasts the world for example, in team ministry, I'm not saying to displace any of, of that good stuff, but to uh, include intergenerational connection so that more mentoring relationships can form. Mm. And we can model what I just read in Psalm 78, that it's not just parents, but, you know, um, 
that truly, you know, our best friends in the kingdom, Uncle Joe, who's really a brother of mine in Christ, will have an influence on my son because he is that, you know, inspiring and that the whole community reflects that. So that's, um, that's kind of the shift that I've realized we, we may need to really intentionally go after. Yeah, I, I want to ask you a couple of questions about that. Um, and, sure. and I'm just kind of looking here in the notes and I, I, I a couple of things. Um, sometimes I find that we can get into symptom solving. And one thing I like that you're bringing up is you're trying to get to, I mean, you can deal with the fruit of the root. You're trying to get to the root. And what I hear you not trying to do is get rid of the good. You're not trying to get a, a rid of things that have given certain churches a culture around their youth. Um, but what you're doing is you're saying, guys, we need to think more broadly on the spectrum of generations. And if we don't do that, here's what's going to happen. Now, let me back up for a moment. Why do you think that we find ourselves in this configuration in the first place? Oh, wow. There's, uh, I, I'm not an expert on it, but there is all kinds of literature um, that we went towards this uh, segregated age model mm. um, back in the 1940s and 50s after the Second World War. And most Protestant churches embraced that this is the direction we should go. Um, yeah, I'm not a historian on that, but mm. I would say that's that's the root of it. And, you know, a lot of Protestant Protestantism is a reaction to um, what went before us. So mm -hmm. like the Lutheran Lutheranism is a reaction to Catholicism, et cetera, et cetera. So I think we were trying to compensate for things, but that's the extent that I, I could actually answer that question. Sure. But it's been in place for a long time. And, and, and that's why I think for some people... Um, you know, parenting is, is really scary and we have a lot of fear and we just, sometimes we, we start to look for things that we feel like will give us the result that will make our fear go down. And what I hear you saying in some ways is it's, it's more complicated than that. We can't just reach for a model just because it's what we've always done or like, so for example, here's what you say. Every practice at every level of the congregation is entirely reworked to champion parents place as the primary disciple makers in their children's lives. I love the way you put that because dropping my kid off at, at camp for a week, I'm telling you as a parent and my, my kids aren't th that old yet, but as a parent, there is a certain expectation or hope that we have for how our kids are going to come back. But what I feel mm -hmm. like with your model is saying, don't be surprised because you're already involved. And in in the, the it's it's an ecosystem paradigm. Like we're mm -hmm. talking about a paradigm shift in the ecosystem of how churches design their ministries. Like intergenerationally, like this this at some point will become normal. And so when my kid goes to church camp or whatever may have you, my expectations for them coming home aren't that they got fixed or that they had some sort of moment that whatever. I'm involved in their life at a very intimate level at a biblical literacy level as well. And so that, that church camp is going to be a great memory, but I'm not depending on it. Mm. <laughs> it's not yeah. something that, uh, because I don't have the skills or I don't have, you know, uh, the community to help raise my kid. Um, 
what I'm hearing you say is, is in many ways, we're, we're not going to be gimmicky in what we're looking for. We are going to, again, this is, you're asking the church to be a community. And I think some changes will have to happen. I think, I mean, this, we're talking about everybody, everybody being a part of this. Yeah. From the minister mm-hmm. all the way down to kids. I mean, like everyone. Um, what have you found um, as you've talked to people about this and so forth like this? What's been the response you've gotten from people? So it's pretty fresh. Um, yeah. <laughs> I just finished these um, two significant papers that I would call culminating papers to my degree. Uh, August 5th, I turned them in and we're sitting at September 29th. <laughs> so um, I think they're starting to get circulated and socialized, if you will, uh, within um, my immediate ministry in the North Ministry Center of the Chicago Church. I think people um, people's antennas are up and they're curious and want to hear more. So Kyle, thank you for this because I think this will help um, them not to have to read, you know, 50 pages, pages, <laughs> this is the, this is the reader, di- reader's digest version in video form. So, um, I, I think people are excited in general that I've gone back to school to try to get to the root cause of this, you know, dilemma and, um, they're, they're ready to listen. So that's where we're at right now, but I have proposals that I I'd like to share with you in a second. Absolutely. So let's do that. Um, okay. The transitional activities uh, in the pilot. And so again, uh, for those of you, one of the things I think is really cool is um, this is something that um, is kind of a pilot in, a, in the pilot phase, if you will. Um, what I like about that is that that's dynamic. In other words, and I, I've got different projects I'm that I'm on that are in the pilot phase as well. Um, which means that we get to be adaptive to the feedback that we're getting real time. And, and sometimes when we have something that's already sort of um, formed, it's not as dynamic. And I like that it's, I kid you not, Matina, I like that it's in a pilot phase because we are in a unique uh, place and time in history. Um, we have pandemic, we have a lot of moving pieces going on. And so I'm excited on how this will function given the situation that we just went through as a globe. I'm really excited yeah. because the way we do community is changing every day. Yeah. So true. I'm, I'm really, really excited. Okay. So let's, let's get started here. The schema assessments. Um, let me back up. To oh, let's back the, up. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. The, so I, I outlined the three pain points, um, yes. which were, you know, de- generational brokenness, gotcha. um, delay of adolescence and disenchantment. Yes. And so to match those up with the theological funding, the scriptures of Deuteronomy 6 and, you know, uh, Psalm 78, um, to solve for those pain, pain points, we've got families that need uh, healing, mm-hmm. um, broken pasts, and uh, to break habits and instincts uh, to become more and more like Jesus. So as we're trying to help our children, we still have to continue to form into mm. Jesus. And that that partnership with your children, that visualization that they have in you is what's going to inspire them to want to change. So um, I, the, the, and I'll, I'll tell you what I've done then since then to address this, this, these three things. But one, um, 
I guess the first point is with John Louie that you mentioned at the beginning. So he uh, was my mentor. I was so grateful for that. He allowed me to use the schema tests um, that his mentor developed, uh, Jeffrey Young, Dr. Jeffrey Young. Um, and then John Louie developed, you know, the positive schema tests. So I had some brave souls in the North Ministry Center uh, for my field work for, for school, uh, let me do the testing on them. And it was eye-opening for them to do these tests. Some of them, you know, Christians for 10 years, some of them for 30 years, some with older children, some with younger children. And it was eye-opening because first and foremost, they realized the healing that has already happened from their parenting that they received because all of these were first-generation folks. Um, in the church. And so the grace of God was revealed. The glory of God was revealed through these tests, mm. first and foremost. And they didn't have a lot of the, the, the baggage that their parents had because the spirit has been working since they've been Christians. The second thing was if there was something and everybody has something um, in terms of a negative schema, it was eye-opening to them to recognize, oh, I still have work to do with mm. God on me. And so it brings everybody to the same playing field. <laughs> it evens the playing field for, for everyone. And so I think that was really refreshing. And for the older ones that had kids that have walked away, I think it's going to give them insight for the pieces that they still have not, not healed in themselves to go back to their older kids that maybe have walked away or have not walked away and are still faithful to God and say, hey, this was exposed. Do you still see this in me? Wow. Or did I do something to you in the past that may have hurt you because I'm this, still this way? And to have honest, open, what, what uh, scholars call, or Greek word for it is kenosis, vulnerability. Um, Philippians 2, what Jesus did on the cross, he, he willingly went to the cross. You willingly have these conversations to create a space for God to heal the relationships. So um, I've done a second batch. Uh, I think now I've done like 50 people in the North Ministry Center. And I think slow but sure, people are, are seeing things that they've never seen before because not everybody needs to go to a counselor like you, fully equipped, because, you know, they function, right? Yeah. It's usually it's severe situations that they need to go. So this is kind of an intermediate way for them to see the brokenness of their, their souls. Um, so I highly recommend John Louis, every, everything that he stands for and proposes and the literature that he's written, good enough parenting, he knows what he's talking about and it's intertwined in spiritual formation. Mm. So that's the first thing. Second thing, um, I think we need to embrace is with the delay of adolescence, we have to slide what we typically do up to 18 in, in teen ministry. We have to slide that into campus ministry because mm -hmm. of the de delay of an adolescence. I think there are, there are different cultures of campus ministries out there. And it's important for all campus ministers to know that, um, because of the de delay of adolescence, we have to have just as much nurturing 
as we do as, you know, raising new leaders up, because that's what campus ministry is all about for, for the church's survival. And I get that. But we also have to balance crucible and womb. Mm. <laughs> we want to put them in the fire and refine them so that they can be great leaders one day. But they also are still young in their human formation and need nurturing as much as they need challenge. Mm. And so that that slide, uh, I just would love for that awareness to, to be kind of marked in people's memories. And then the third thing, um, it, which you mentioned already, is biblical literacy. The idea, um, as you, you talked about, that parents need to own you know, training up. But I think the church can also help equip parents, especially, again, since we're first generation and we do our own devotionals, but the teaching ministry um, is not as robust as a preaching ministry, honestly. And so we need to give resources uh, through parenting classes, um, through teaching ministry, to, for, to have age-appropriate curriculums to go home with parents and to be able to immerse. Because we're not all naturally born. I wasn't trained as a teacher. I, for my kids, you know, there are some people that are blessed with that gift um, in terms of, you know, they know how to, to break down a curriculum and teach, but there are, you know, packages out there. And so one of the things we are considering right now uh, in the North Ministry Center is to have a children's ministry curriculum for the younger generation, especially to the young ones, um, to have something for the parents to take home so there's a connection with what's being taught at, at school or at church and what's being taught at home, along with devotionals, along with the whole Deuteronomy 6, you know, 24, 7, you know, um, reflecting, you know, the, the walk with, with God. So those are the three kind of solutions, big picture solutions to counteract those three pain points, those three challenges. I'll stop there. Yeah, thank you for saying that. And I think I got a little bit mixed up in the notes. Uh, I appreciate you sharing that because that was the companion to uh, what I initially asked. And then I, I got a little mixed up. So sorry about that. Thank you for explaining no, that. Okay. Couple yeah. things. Healing from broken pasts. Um, one of the things that I'm finding, Matina, is to your point, you were saying earlier, when we get baptized, we come out of the waters. I mean, we were forgiven. So, so when we are forgiven, God pulls out the log, but he spends the rest of our lives pulling out all those little splinters. Yeah, good point. <laughs> There's a lot of splinters in our lives. Some are about us, some are about others. And I think that it's a mixture of healing and teaching that's yep. necessary to help people to understand that. The preaching gets people saved, amen, but the healing and the teaching uh, matures people, <laughs> heals them. That's very important. Um, and so I think, I think there's been some false summits, meaning if I, if I can just get, in other words, conversion becomes the finish line. Mm -hmm. And then that really yeah. kind of sets people up for stagnation. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and then sliding and extending nurturing. Oh, we talked about that, but I, I really like how you're talking about it because what you're adding now is to your point, there are certain cultures. I was just on the phone with someone yesterday and they were talking about at times there, there can be some harshness 
in, in some campus ministry ecosystems. And what's interesting about that, and, and I don't want to judge, I, you know, again, I don't know every situation, but it makes sense from where you're coming from. Meaning kids developmentally are on a spectrum. And when, you know, we're bringing kids into the campus ministries, there's still quite a bit of formation that needs to take place. And I just, I got to be honest, Matina, I, I think this is very important. Um, I think that if for certain people, you only get one chance. Okay. Number one, I think it's quite possible that without what you just said in terms of the, the formation component extending well into the twenties, um, we could run some people off some good souls. We, we could injure, we could damage people. Mm-hmm. And, and then, and then, and then they have parents, <laughs> right. Who are still in the church. So this is very, to me, it's important. Um, now I think Matina, that the pushback, some people might say, you know, the would be, you know, uh, Matina, when I came up, um, in my day, uh, you're smiling cause you know what I'm about to say in my day, um, we didn't have any of that coddling. Like they gave it to us straight and these kids, the problem with kids nowadays is fill in the blank. Well, who raised them? Anyway, that's a whole nother conversation. Regardless, what do you, how do you talk to the older generation as they sort of struggle with how they were raised in their spiritual formation versus how they're being asked to raise the next generation with their spiritual formation? How do you deal with that? That, uh, that argument, if you will. Hmm. This is a curveball. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can but... <laughs> I can edit it out if I need to. Don't even worry. About it. No, no, you're fine. Um, since I represent that older generation for the most part, I'm 60, and uh, well, I already gave a, a data point. In 1984 or 1980, I was 18. So anyway, I would say that um, it's kind of like if we go back to looking at Paul hmm. and looking at uh, those three demarcations, I've, I've, I've revisited them three times and I still don't remember which, which is where, but three in three of his letters, he talks about, describes himself. um, I'm the least of my brothers. I'm, I forget what the middle one is. And then the, the last one, the last one towards his martyrdom is I'm the least of sinners. Hmm. Or the worst of sinners even i can't remember i can't quote it off the bat here but what i what i have found myself going through in my spiritual journey and my maturation through even going to seminary is that um the grace of god is deep and wide and vast and we need to reflect that if we want to impel people to jesus without that grace we are not going to win people over we are not going to be any different than the people in the world Mm. and um we needed to have that strength of character and that strength of you know we were planters we were missionaries we were you know in the in in our tradition in the icoc we didn't have time to waste time (laughs) people need We need to plant churches. Um, But we now that we have the following and the next generations coming up, 
we have to go back and say, okay, but kids aren't ready to be missionaries and planters. (laughs) That's not the same style that we can get away with now. We have to consider what's going to inspire this generation that has is facing so much more tidal wave i consider it like a tidal wave coming at us with not only their own spiritual faith but their identity gender i mean there are so many layers gender race that um they have much more in my opinion and i grew up in chicago i didn't grow up in like a lily white suburb or anything i grew up in the you know in the city uh, of Chicago and in the the 70s with racial tension back then, it is different today of what they have to navigate, what they have to make sense of. And so we need to be welcoming. And to your point about camp, what happens at camp is they can have countercultural conversations to make sense of what's going on. But they need even more conversations like that over and over and over again to get through till their brain forms fully. That's my answer. I don't know if it's a good one. Oh, it's a good one. It's a good one. That is so helpful. Thank you for, listen, I, I do need you to talk to the builder generation and, and they need a way, I mean, you can relate to them in in a very important way. Um, I care about objections. I care when people want to counter and say, but this and that, and then the other thing I care and people need a way to work through their objections. Um, and so thank you for that because it, you, you, you understand it very, very well. Okay. Can we move to the transitional activities? Yes. Yes. These are suggestions that I want to try, but I will describe each one of them. Okay. Do you want me to go ahead and do that? Yes. Or? Okay. So, um, so the first one I kind of itemized pretty well is um, John Louis's uh, good enough parenting. Um, having people trained in that in churches, I think, is critical uh, to be able to um, help people process their, process their pain in their households. So that's uh, the first one. Please, please listen to to what he has to share there and get his book if you don't have it. Good enough parenting. Um, the other thing is that he also has other programs um, that I would like to engage with him with, and it's for older generations to um, reconnect, even parents that have kids that have left. Mm. And so in, in that, with his piece and my theological piece, I would like to do a combination of uh, a support group. So he would be kind of like a one-time teacher to those that have taken this uh, schema test of his and um, make that an intergenerational support group where you've got younger and older. And it's more of a like a workshop, but that we deliberately and intentionally connect younger and older because the older generation, their kids may not be sharing why they're hurt or why they've walked away or why they don't believe in God anymore. They don't have that connection anymore, that intimacy. And the younger generation that has, you know, that are the age of their kids can maybe give them insight. And then the older can teach the younger on what did go well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because you've got families that, you know, you've got three kids and two are faithful and one is not. And you're still scratching your head. W- what happened? 
And so there's still more to un, un, you know, unearth and to understand. So this intergenerational workshop is, I'm describing it. I've, I've written a paper about it. I'm happy to share that paper. Um, I wrote it under um, the guidance of a professor that um, has done 40 years of chaplaincy and um, incredible um, minister. And so he recommended support groups, uh, obviously, because he was a chaplain, there were support groups for all kinds of things in his hospital network. So bringing that concept into the church, I think would be um, very helpful. And the, the key funding scripture there would be the prodigal son, mm. um, but in ways that everybody can relate, like, you're the father, you're the, you're the son that left, you're the son that stayed. There's so many dimensions to that parable that I believe people can find identity in that and find hope in that. So that's the second thing. Real quick, um, I, I do want to just say briefly, brilliant. And I can't tell you how many parents will thank you for that. Look, there are, if you're watching, there are many, you just said, there's many folks who your kids didn't become Christians and then what happens is, especially with trauma, we translate experience into identity. So based off of what happens or doesn't happen in life, that becomes, uh, defines who I am. And I, I truly believe this, Matina. Uh, the years and years I've talked to people, uh, especially now, and their kids disconnect or pull away, it is brutal for parents. Yeah. Brutal. And I say that with a lot of emotion, brutal, yeah, and they too. are hurting and they don't have a group of people like that. That is, I, I, I don't even know of an, I don't know of anyone else who's even thought of it now, not to say that people haven't, but, but people, and then the other part that I love is the intergenerational feedback. You're creating conversations and I just love it because it's not just a support group for people's kids. You know, for people who, you know, their kids and become Christians, we're creating uh, a way for people to do uh, conversation. And I love that you said it's a workshop as well. So I, 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 when that gets rolled out, I really want to help promote that, Matina. Okay. That sounds great, Kyle. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what that, I do have um, uh, a brother and a sister that, um, Whose, whose son particularly they're concerned about and they want to um, help support this. So I think we've got seeds of, of this program. I, won't, I don't want to call it a program, but um, a healing ministry uh, to start. So that's the second one. Okay. The third one um, is, I already kind of alluded to this earlier, but training classes with age-appropriate teaching mm. with emphasis on disciple-making of their children as their primary role. So I'm, I'm assembling all like books and content and curriculum into a document. I don't have it all pulled together at this point, but I own a lot of books at this point. <laughs> um, and put them like uh, in age, you know, broken out. And so people would have resources, like even little um i can show you because you would love them for your kids uh, i have grandkids so five and two so i'm thinking about them and um little flashcards for devotionals mm -hmm. having a devotional with a five-year-old and a two-year-old that's challenging 
what do you even try to accomplish with that? So um, that kind of thing, that, that stretches of time don't go by and you haven't done anything, but that you've done something, that there's a, a transforming moment that you've had at least once a week with your child uh, at every age. Um, and then let's see, uh, four is, um, oh, training parents. Uh, this goes back to the teaching ministry in exegetical practices. Not everybody has, I, I don't even consider myself yet a, a biblical scholar. Uh, I'm, I'm continuing my Greek study and my Hebrew study and all that good stuff. But ultimately, there are basic principles in exegetical study so that we're not reading into scripture that's not what's there. Mm. And that we are confident in what we're reading and we can pass on to our kids too. Because I think a lot of it is we're not confident, you know, to mm. teach. We think, you know, that's the job of somebody else. But, um, you know, we've had the Bible in print since the 1400s. So God wants us to be... <laughs> fully equipped to teach the next generations. Um, Let me say, can so, I just say something very briefly sure, on that? Absolutely. absolutely. Uh, a very famous scripture, train a child in the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. Is used, I think, as an encouragement scripture for parents who are hoping that it all works out. And I remember, maybe it was my first or second semester of Hebrew, that I remember reading uh, that it, it's not the way they should go. It's the way they go. In other words, it's mm -hmm. not a promise. It's an admonition. Do your job. Do your mm -hmm. job. And oh, by the way, if your kids turn out a certain way, don't be surprised. So there's almost a sarcasm that you see in that scripture of if they turn out a certain way, don't be surprised. It's not a promise. And I just think certain scriptures can be used as a, a way to create sort of promise. And the thing is, is that if their kids don't become Christians, did the scripture fail them? No, you weren't reading it with biblical literacy. <laughs> and so this is, this is again, I think so important for shepherds and teachers. We need to understand how we're asking the text to perform when we're giving people hope even. Because uh, I don't use that scripture that way anymore. I don't use that scripture as, oh, just, you know, they'll come back one day. Uh, it's more about parenting while you're parenting. Like it's, that's what that's trying to target. Again, biblical literacy, I think there's a lot of different use cases uh, that I could, I mean, you know, there's many different things yeah. we could bring up. But yeah, I just wanted to bring that up as an example. Yeah. I want to comment on that real quick if Please. I can. Um, so I do believe that our kids have the best fighting chance if we are not perfect, but chronically vulnerable. Ooh, I like <laughs> and, that. And honest, the whole kenosis thing, back to Jesus on the cross, that if we're perpetually in a repentant mode, not, oh, sorry, I did that again. I'm not saying that, but as things get un uncovered that you truly repent and that you're onto a new thing to repent of, that our kids, um, all excuses for kids get taken away. And I think the only thing that's left is the temperament and the, and the agency of the child that's left to make the choice to walk away. So 
like that scripture says, you don't want to put a millstone around your child, you know, that Jesus talks about. So you want to create the absolute best environment so they have a fighting chance in this world to make it. And I think, you know, when I think about Jesus's success rate on earth, he only lost one out of 12. I think that's pretty powerful. <laughs> and it was Judas's temperament that got him into trouble. He got exposed to everything else, just like the rest of the disciples. But it was his temperament and his the temptation that, that succumbed him. So yes, our kids, it's not promised because you can't, it's mutually exclu exclusive. You can't have free agency and, and free choice without the possibility of stepping into um, walking away. But I think uh, I hang on to God's promises because he's, give, he's equipped us to give our kids a fighting chance. Yeah, and I again, Matina, I think we have to be very careful how we use scriptures because God is the perfect father. And yet, if we look at that in terms of there's almost 8 billion people in the world, um, if you want to say Christianity has got out of 2 billion people, half of that would be Catholic Church. There's a billion people in the Catholic Church, so 2 billion out of 8 billion. Right. Whatever, whatever, however you want to say it, the point is God is the perfect father, and we see a ton of people reject him. And what I find... And this is why I'm excited about your support group. There's a lot of parents who have damaged self-concepts if their kids don't become Christians. And right. there's a lot of good parents who were also good disciples and their kids did right. not become Christians. So that's, that's where I just wonder as you look at that aspect of it, right? Cause there's, I mean, there are a lot of parents who did a good job. So, you know, what do we say to those parents though? There, yeah. So I, yeah, that's a whole other conversation. Okay. But I if think, it's a different conversation, it's, yeah, a different it's, conversation. it's possible that our kids just have, um, bitterness even towards the church or, you know, sit still unresolved healing. And so that could be holding them back, not just their own agency and their own sin. And I didn't mean to misspeak there, but ultimately I think there's hope after the fact you know, after 25, after 30 yeah. into like, you know, so thirties, forties, whatever, we might be gone and our kids might make it. They, mm. they, they might come full circle. So that's all I'm saying is that if we, um, put as much energy into spiritual formation and, uh, on our, for ourselves and for our children, God will do the rest. And I think, that, that's what I hang on to. That's the promise that I hang on gotcha. to. Love it. Um, let's see. Uh, an intergenerational um, teaching class on Sunday mornings where um, we create. So I created a, an entire curriculum. You've, you've got that paper, Kyle. But it's, mm -hmm. it's basically what we're trying to do, what I would suggest we try to do in a teaching environment is make it intergenerational and create triads of um, young, middle-aged and older uh, triads within that teaching environment. And so we're naturally creating opportunities for mentorship to uh, evolve out of Sunday morning teaching classes mm. before, before worship service. 
And so I have an entire curriculum around that and creating deliberate cognitive dissonance, like finding things like go through the book of Mark, for example, and look at the Old Testament that supports Mark, understand relationships, understand that John Mark was, you know, Peter's, uh, one of Peter's friends and wrote down, you know, the, the, um, stories about Jesus, understand all of that kind of dynamic and how the scriptures formed, but do it in an environment with younger and older. So that's another idea. Um, and the last one, um, is to have, and I, and I got the, a lot of these ideas I got again from the mainline churches of Christ, cause I've seen I've witnessed in their worship service some really cool dynamics. Um, and so they have, uh, periodically they bring fathers and sons to, or mothers and daughters to speak and to inter introduce that. I think we do that some when we have like youth and family uh, days um, for worship services, but to do that even more intentionally and uh, let children speak from the podium from their hearts mm. uh, even more. And so that the, the community gets to know who these children are, especially if in your, you're in a sprawling, you know, maybe not so much in Nebraska, but in Chicago, we're a sprawling <laughs> ministry. Yeah. And it's hard for people, and we don't own our own building, so it's hard for people to get to know each other. So intentionally create these opportunities for intergenerational now, now, I have to say that I don't think you need a formal program, this family equipping model that I'm suggesting. It's kind of like this aim, this North Star. But I think if even this idea is implanted in you, you can start thinking a little bit differently. It's It started to happen for me where um, I was asked to do a purity class for uh, campus women. And then the campus woman said, well, what about your husband doing the, the guys? And at first I thought, well, this could all work out, but honestly, we were married, um, after, uh, we were, became Christians after we were married. So our strength in terms of teaching purity lessons is a little bit stretched. So what happened and in long story short, there's a Bible study group that happens you know, a few houses down from us. So in our church, great friends of ours that, um, their women, are coming, their older women are coming to help me teach the campus women. And those women actually lived as singles and stayed pure. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then um, the guys are going to be taught by, you know, a, a man with his guys and his Bible study group. So truly intergenerational learning from one another about purity. And maybe the older I wouldn't be surprised. Older generation is going to get convicted by the younger generation. <laughs> <laughs> so those, uh, that's the, that's what the essence is right, right here. Um, that I'm talking about thinking differently and trying to make choices that will impact even the next day or the next week or the next months. You know what I love Matina is that in some senses it's, it's subtle, but it makes a huge difference. What you're asking and what you're calling for in terms of um, action guiding, an action guiding process, you're not asking for something necessarily that isn't something that most ministers, uh, evangelists at some point would agree with. 
I just think because of, I mean, there's a lot of churches in survival mode. Um, people are freaked out and triggered around what's happening with the next generation, the environment that we're in. And I think when people are, you know, Psalm 37, I believe. Yeah, Psalm, Psalm 37, uh, 4, I think. Uh, in Psalm 37, do not fret, it only leads to evil. There's a lot of fretting. And mm-hmm. so when there's a lot of fretting, uh, we're in midbrain. I mean, we're, we're in the limbic system. The amygdala is charged mm-hmm. and people are just yeah. really freaking out. And it, they, they're really struggling to settle down. What I really like about this is if people can just kind of ground themselves, I, I think that this makes sense if, if, if we want to, if, 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 if people are interested in passing something on, um, cause really, if I'm going to be honest, Matina, what other choice is there? <laughs> like what you're talking about here, I, I guess people could say no. Okay. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do what instead? I mean, Regardless, I mean, it's not like, so one of the things I look at uh, is that you have a lot of scriptural backing and what you're proposing. And so, and, and I will say as a marriage and family therapist and also um, inviting other people on talking about parenting, the science actually supports this. Sociologically, yeah. I could bring on a, sociolo- a sociologist and they mm-hmm. likely would look at this and say, wow, this, I would affirm this. Because it's that generational cohesion. So I I, I wonder, uh, I don't know how much pushback you're going to get. <laughs> because it just makes sense. And people, Matina, people are desperate to reach the next generation. Um, so I just, I'm really thankful for you. I mean that, Matina. Like, you know, you know, your kids are older and so forth like that. And you could sort of just ride into the sunset. But somehow, the spirit got a hold of you and said, Go do this. I want you mm-hmm. to. I, I, don't, I don't understand how he did that, but he did. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I do. To your point, I don't know if you were going to mention this or not, but uh, I closed out with this about the science supporting what the scriptures say. I mean, you know, the longer we live, the more we realize that, right? Leviticus, the, the food laws, and mm. protecting us from microbiology and all of that. But um, there was a landmark uh, multidisciplinary research report, so sociological, scientific, and religious from the U.S. Commission on Children at Risk. It was published in 2003, and they came out with a, a, a title that says this, Hardwired to Connect, the New Scientific Case for Authoritative Communities. Hmm. The most critical conclusion from this report on what makes for healthy and maturing children and young people is that they are part of what the language of heart of of what hardwired describes. Furthermore, the study suggests that young people are not spiritual nomads. The research uh, leans into science and language of neuroscience, which is biologically hardwired to need connection. Mm. Moreover, moreover, children will only thrive and find spiritual and moral orientation and meaning in their lives if integrated with nurturing communities. Mm. Ah, can't argue with it. I, I I love it. I just am grateful that God has put this on your heart. And I, I'm just grateful you also came back because, you know, you're busy and you came on before. And I just feel very blessed to have you here today. 
I'm blessed to, to be interviewed by you and to be your friend. Um, I've, I've uh, respected you so, so much, Kyle, and just grateful for your work. So thank you for the privilege. Mm. Well, I want to say to you what I said last time, and I'm going to say again to you that we are with you. And God is for you, Matina. Thank you. Thank you, Kyle. Take care. If you've been with us through this entire video, which most of, many of you probably uh, have, and not only that, some of you go back over and over and over and watch, I just want to thank you so much for supporting the ministry. And my hope is, is that you got what you needed today uh, to take next steps and get very curious about what God is telling you as it relates to the next generation. I'll see you next time.